So happy new year, Gunnar. Happy new year, Dave. Yeah. So there has been, uh, I guess some security news since we talked last. Yeah. I feel like, uh, I feel like it's been a security extravaganza. Yeah. Yeah. Actually there has been some, it's like supply chain security. Mm -hmm, Which is our favorite kind. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anybody that you know that is a specialist in uh, supply chain security? Yeah, as a matter of fact, the doctor. So the doctor. We need to talk to. We need, so we need to. We need to consult the doctor, Doctor David A. Wheeler. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Is it did? Uh, is it like a twenty dollars copay or? <laughs> I'm sure. If I was Doctor David A. Wheeler, I'm not sure that I would submit to insurance. I think I would require cash on the barrel for each consultation. If I were, were I. Well, all right. So now what? We say uh, Dr. David A. Wheeler in a mirror three times and he appears or how, how does he appear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Three times, uh, three times into your into your webcam. You say uh, you want to do it together? <laughs> yeah, yeah. OK, here we go. Three, two, one. Dr. Dr. David Wheeler. Dr. David A. Wheeler. Dr. David A. Wheeler. Poof. Whoa. Hey. <laughs> Uh, I don't normally make house calls. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I think all we right. all are from, uh, uh, with, uh, lately. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, what, what's I, been new with you? Well, I thought I'd quickly comment. Uh, I saw your, your tagline, uh, on the Dave and Gunner show about not our circus, not our monkey. And mm-hmm. I thought I'd just observed that my grandfather's grandfather actually owned and ran circuses. So it actually is my circus. Yeah. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, yeah, and my monkey. And unfortunately, uh, if you've been watching the news at all, there has been way too much of a circus uh, <laughs> to talk about uh, in the uh, security world. But not all of it's bad. Uh, there's some good news, too, and good stuff going on. So yeah. I, I'd be happy to talk about some of the news stuff and some of the things that are going on. Uh, yeah. But I'd also at least like to uh, point out some of the good stuff that's going on, too, because uh, I think... We need uh, that. Yeah, I, oh boy, boy, do we ever need some good news as well. So you want me to start with some good news and then we can, and then we can go off on the uh, other fun things like solar wind. So would that be? Yeah. Uh, well, let's start off on a high note and leave everybody depressed at the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually, I don't think we have to leave depressed. I think we okay. can instead leave with uh, marching orders of there are things to be changed and let's be part of the change we want to be. So, um, so yeah, last we talked, um, was in August of 2020 and uh, now it's 2021. Um, when we last talked, I, I'd recently joined the Linux foundation and the open source security foundation had just kicked off. Mm -hmm. And, uh, now, you know, I mean, there, it's still relatively new, but uh, a lot has happened. Um, I guess I'll, I'll give the quick pitch, though. If you're interested in open source, uh, improving open source software security in general, uh, OpenSSF.org. Um, OpenSSF.org is a very, very good place to go. Uh, mm-hmm. So they've got a number of working groups. Um, so, and they're basically, the OpenSSF is basically replacing the old core infrastructure initiative or the CII. Oh. They've basically, okay. they're basically picking up some of the, C, uh, the CII work 
um, and it's transitioning over. Uh, this, it's, it's not officially posted on the CII website yet, but uh, that is something that's on the do list is to mm -hmm. uh, make it clear, hey, you know, the, 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 and you know, the CII did a lot of good stuff and, and hooray for that. Um, now, new organization, new structures, let's, let's get moving. So um, let me see. So OpenSSF has six working groups. Um, the one is the uh, what's called the best practices working group. Mm -hmm. um, and so kind of one of the newest things that's happened there is there's now a free set of three courses uh, called the Secure Software Development Fundamentals courses. Mm -hmm. um, it costs nothing. You can't beat this price. And yeah, it takes some time to go through any course, but it doesn't take that much, maybe an hour a week for, for five months. Of course, if you want to uh, drill in faster, you can do it fast, mm -hmm. uh, all online. Um, and I believe that if you develop software, you need to know how to develop software that handles the internet or data from the internet. I mean, that's the reality. Pretty much mm -hmm. everything's hooked up to networks now, directly or indirectly. And so... Mm -hmm. You really need to get developers to learn how to develop secure software. You know, hey, take this course. If, if you want to take another course, that's great. But take something about how to develop secure software. Most most colleges don't teach about it, so you need to fill that in. Um, yep. And if you wanted to prove that you learned the material, uh, there's a fee you can pay to take wow. tests to prove to, to try to earn a certificate. That's the way yeah. a lot of edX courses work. You know, the, the learning material is free. If you want to prove and get a certificate, yeah. you can do that. But you know, at this point right now, if you want to get a certificate, that's great. Um, but frankly, my, my primary concern is please learn this kind of stuff because mm -hmm. we're all depending on software now. You know. Even internally in Red Hat, you know, we uh, we want to have training courses for all our developers to make sure that they all understand security best practices. And you know, if you're a relatively well-heeled organization like Red Hat, obviously that's an important investment for us to be making. Um, what I really like about this is that it really lowers because it is free. It does lower the barrier to entry for folks who could not otherwise mount like a formal secure software development practices practice, mm -hmm. right? Um, right? So you know, your mom and pop web hosting uh, shop or um, or a, uh, you have a small business with a handful of developers, um, they can at least get a leg up, right? Um, mm -hmm. Without having oh, yeah. to jump in it. So I think it's uh, it's great. You're, you're doing you're doing the Lord's work there, David. Thank you. Oh, well, yeah. thank you. Yeah, and probably the other big thing uh, we can talk about in the under the security best practices working group is uh, a project we've talked about before. It's the CII mm -hmm. badge project, um, yes. which, which and I mentioned basically the CII is slowly basically getting replaced by the OpenSSF. And that means that the what used to be in the CII is moving into the OpenSSF. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to report it's still going great. We've now got over 3,500 projects, uh, over 500 with passing badges. We just got somebody who's working on a Swahili translation. Mm -hmm. We're always looking for new translators, by the way. So, you know, please contact me. We've got, <laughs> we're always looking for, for help on translations. Most I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. You said Klingon. Yeah. Uh, not yet. But not you know yet. what? Nobody's asking for it. Nobody's been asking for it. But you, kapla. But yeah, uh, yeah. You, but you know what? Uh, feel free. Um, if you mm -hmm. want to do a Klingon translation, uh, you know. But but you're gonna have to commit to actually doing the work. I do mm -hmm. know that in Klingon they don't have a word for file. So the standard convention <laughs> in Klingon is a data cage when you want to refer to a file. 
okay. but that's all right. <laughs> right, right. Uh, useless trivia of the day, I suspect. That's good. Um, <laughs> I learned something today. There, there we go. Um, yeah, but then, and really, what is, what's been going on is a lot of small tweaks uh, mm -hmm. in criteria, you know, updates of tech stack and tweaks. Like, for example, uh, one of the one of their criteria originally said that your release notes have to must identify. Uh, every publicly known vulnerability with a CVE assignment or similar. And some mm -hmm. people thought that meant that you had to have every vulnerability assigned to a CVE. And, and that was just a misunderstanding. That was never the intent. I mean, you could do mm -hmm. that, but we just wanted to make it make sure that if a vulnerability had a CVE, then your release note should point to that. Why? Yeah. Because when you when you're thinking, gee, should I update to the software? You look at the release note and go, oh, wait a minute, that fixes this vulnerability. It, either you didn't know or maybe you were mm -hmm. concerned about. And mm -hmm. so we, we're trying to give people, the, we're trying to get end users the information they need to mm -hmm. make decisions about should I update, should or not, and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as this, the, the best practices badge, there's been some discussion about maybe renaming from CII because the CI itself is basically getting replaced by the openness right. stuff. Uh, we actually haven't decided because renaming stuff, as you probably appreciate, is a pain in the butt. Uh, yep. It wouldn't be the first project that kept an old name that doesn't really make much sense anymore. But, you know, if we do, we do. And we'll make sure if we change URLs, though, we'll make sure to forward things. So you know, mm -hmm. there's no need to wait for a rename. Right. Right, <laughs> you right. know, just if you're doing a, an open source project, please go work on getting a badge. And, uh, and, you know, that'll, that, I think that's one of those long-term things that's, I think, been really helpful for getting people to do the right things for security so that the software that we all depend on is more secure. Mm -hmm. How, like, in terms of the progress, are, what, what does it look like in terms of, like, the, there are people going in and then they, like, self-attest to, like, crossing the minimum bar, but are they continually working up to get more and more badges, or uh, how, how does that work out? Um, the answer is it depends. Um, we have three, as you know, we have three badge levels: uh, passing silver, gold. Um, we do have a, I would say, a minor. It is a minority, but we do have projects that say, "Hey, I got, I got this level. I want to move forward." Um, and uh, you know, Zephyr, for example, quite uh, quite several years ago now, uh, really worked hard to uh, bring its level up. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I think from a, first of all, we want to encourage projects to do that. There's a reason we create those higher badge levels. We want projects to pursue those higher badge levels. But currently, we've really been focusing on getting projects badged at all be, under the theory that if at least you're doing a reasonable set, you're way better off than the many projects which aren't even doing that minimum set. And so yeah. from a, from a, from a, I want op all open source software to be perfectly secure in all ways. That would be awesome. Yeah. But I, th I think, and we've talked together before, I'm always looking for the, what are the highest risks? What are the ones I'm most worried about? Let's focus on that. And, and mm -hmm. for now, at least we've been more focusing on the projects, which don't even meet a minimum bar and right. trying to get them up to a minimum bar. Now, there are some projects which are super important and they really should go far beyond a minimum bar. I think kernels, for example, because mm -hmm. of their extreme, you know, because of their centrality and a lot of security decisions, it's important that they be higher. So for example, mm -hmm. the Linux kernel and the Zephyr kernel have already earned gold. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, we love we love for more, but you know, we wanna make sure 
that we get a lot of folks at least to some level because perfection's awesome, but you usually don't get there in a day. Let's focus yeah. on what's most important and really just repeat that. What's most important? Work that. Okay, what's most important now? Report that. And just keep yeah. working until we uh, run out of, of uh, the runway of life, as it were. <laughs> yeah, and well, and it's also better to know whether something's a bronze versus unknown. And, you know, you, you don't know what risk you're facing or, or uh, you know, where the, the gaps are and opportunities for improvement. Right. Well, in fact, that's actually an interesting point. Uh, one of the other projects, uh, one of the other working groups has this really quirky name called uh -huh. the Identifying Security Threats to Open Source Projects. And and when you peep, look at that title, you say, what in the heck is that? It's what they're really talking about is metrics. They're trying to help, you know, if, if you're thinking about using an open source program, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how can I figure out what my risk is? One, of course, is does it have a badge? And if, if it does, you know, if it doesn't, but it's at least in progress, how far along is it? And what they're doing is they've already developed a prototype which grabs data from the CI best practices badge if it's pursuing it and where is where is that status and if it's and if they're not well it'll tell you that too mm -hmm. and it also gathers other statistics about the project and tries to give people a you know, a uh, an early indication of how risky that project is this is in its very very early stages I'm certain that. Uh, much more is to come, but I think the idea is is at least sound. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the idea that you know we are going, you know, when you are developing software today, you are going to be choosing open source software. It's no longer a question. Mm -hmm. So, all right, there's probably multiple options. Which ones are should you choose? Well, here's you know, one of those. Hopefully, one of those criteria will hopefully be how secure is it. And mm -hmm. even if there's only one. You know, is is that something you should worry about? Maybe pay a little extra attention to, or, you know, or man, this this project's in great shape. Every there's a risk, a problem can happen to anybody, but it's less likely to be a serious problem here. And so mm -hmm. they're not done; they're just starting. But uh, that's at least the hope of that. Okay, cool. And David, what is the? Um, I mean, obviously, having the badging program is good all, all by itself, um, and it's it's kind of even more interesting if. Uh, kind of um, organizational security teams start using the badges as a reference, right? Or, or saying like, listen, uh, anything that gets anything that gets bronze, we're going to allow through without further review. But I mean, are you aware of any companies that have set up uh, set up any policies around the, around the badging process? Absolutely. Now, first of all, you have to be careful. There's nothing called bronze. There's passing silver, gold. Um, Sorry. Yes. <laughs> we'll get yeah. that in there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, short answer is yes. Um, for example, the CNCF has it as a graduation requirement. Uh, I've forgotten what it is, uh, but you know, in order to go from their first tier to their second tier, my apologies, I can't. I forgot mm -hmm. what the name of those tiers are. They just, you know, my mind's drawing a blank. I I knew this two seconds ago. Um, but in order to go from one tier to the next higher tier, you have to get a passing badge. Um, and there's some other foundations that either are doing that or are considering it. So, for example, the uh, LF Energy, I think they're still that's in consideration, but it, it, it makes sense for them. You know, we want to mm -hmm. make sure we choose good open source projects. We want to make sure that the projects that we develop are good. Um, and, you know, you have to, you know, the badging simply says 
uh, here are thing activities you should be doing and what you, and you know it, there's no one thing that guarantees a secure outcome but when you put a collection of good things together <clears throat> best practices uh, mm-hmm. you're more likely to produce good things than bad things and it gives you a leg up and that's what you want you want projects that are trying to do the right thing that are taking the right steps and therefore you know reduce the likelihood of a problem reduce the impact of if there's a problem or at least speed up the response when when there's a problem mm-hmm. um actually you're kind of hinting at the whole problem of what what the, the projects that are more important there's actually another whole working group in the openness of just about securing critical projects mm-hmm. uh, when we last talked Mm-hmm. Um, the, there was a survey just started to try to get a better sense, uh, about open source and so on. And, uh, there's now a report. Uh, so I should say thank you to everybody, including everybody who mm-hmm. responded to this, uh, to this show. Um, you know, thanks to everybody who contributed the survey. There are some very, very interesting answers to, uh, results from the survey. I'll make sure I get you guys a link and, mm-hmm. uh, you can slip it in there and you can, people can look at the, uh, uh, reports and it's it's kind of interesting what you see. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for example, uh, I think one of the more interesting is you know, you know, about three quarters of the respondents were paid, uh, uh, <clears throat> sorry, were, were employed full time. More mm-hmm. than half are paid to develop uh, open source software, and yet when you ask them, "Are your motivations money?" the answer was no. It was mm-hmm. actually lower even in for those who are paid to do it, which creates all sorts of interesting, well, what does this mean? It doesn't mean that they don't want to be paid. That's, that's I think mm-hmm. that would be not a, a good reading, but it's more subtle than that. But I think that that indicates, you know, that things are more complicated to deal with and that's all right. You got to think things through. Um, yeah. So, it sounds like, wait. it sounds like their well, it sounds like their beliefs and preferences are aligned with their jobs, which is a nice uh, way to right. be. Uh, right. That's yeah. right. That's right. And in fact, they probably specifically arrange things to make those things align, which is a very, very good thing. Um, Yeah. So anyway, what I would say is um, there's all sorts of stuff. We probably don't have time uh, to uh, go through all that. But hey, there's a report. You can go take a peek and and see what it says. I guess probably a couple of quick other things that are useful to comment here. The, 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 the survey was specifically designed to talk about um, uh, security. And the reality was that people spent very little time on security and they didn't want to spend more time on security. Uh, they really, really wanted, um, you know, other folks and uh, they wanted their tools. Basically, I think the, what the bottom line comes out of is, is if security depends on people spending vast quantities of additional time on security, that is not going to be a winning strategy. However, mm-hmm. if, it's, if it depends on helping them learn how to do it, they like learning. Mm-hmm. Learning's good. And mm-hmm. if we focus on making the tools, uh, changing the tools in libraries so that things happen by default, then yes. I think that, that basically that seems to be the bigger win is automated automation, automation, learning. That's where we need to be putting our focus, which I don't think is terribly surprising, but I think it, we, we now have real data to back that up. Yeah. yeah I was talking a lot of, oh, oh I, well, I was just going to say, I was talking to somebody earlier today about something very similar where, um, you know, it's like blaming the victim of, you know, whether somebody got hacked or somebody wrote the code wrong or something. It's like, well, you know, maybe the tooling and or the languages could be um, 
more secure to set up the guardrails uh, so people can go really fast, but it's it's you have those security guardrails in place to keep them on track. That's right. That's right. And and we're actually seeing a lot of discussions about that. Uh, you know, I, I, it's no secret. You know, I, I know C, I've, known, I've used C for years. There are places for it, but people have used languages which don't have any guardrails, particularly C, but, but C++ yep. as well, in cases mm-hmm. where that really doesn't make any sense. And there's been a, a big push towards languages which provide those guardrails and, and other mm-hmm. mechanisms. Um, all, and, and, I, and I think that in the, in the larger, in the longer sense, in the longer run is really the right way to go. You know, mm-hmm. trying to expect that people will never, ever make a mistake it, it is not a path to a winning solution. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, that's right. Well, and I think that, and I think to my intuition is that a lot of people, when they think about security, they think about um, a seemingly endless set of seemingly arbitrary requirements, uh, all of which interfere with me delivering the application that I was signed up to deliver. Right. Um, right. It's that's, seen as a set of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and so, yeah, as you say, to the extent that you can um, uh, make the decisions ahead of time, either in your language choices or your platform choices or what have you, um, that uh, that reduces the the kinds of objections people might have to security. And also, as you say, like it's not that people are lazy because they're extremely interested in learning about it, but I think the whole topic of security and the expectation that they'll deliver a secure application out of the box is intimidating for a lot of folks, right? Because it's it's yeah. a it, that's an extremely difficult thing to do. Yeah, and I and I think the um, uh, the whole notion of hey, you have to do this because you have to do this that that's mm-hmm. ridiculous. In in mm-hmm. fact, um, you know, all too often you you know compliance or security, pick one. You can't get you, there are all too many cases where there's this list and you comply with the list and that will ensure you're insecure. That's not what we want. You should you know. For any requirement, be it security or not, you should be able to explain why you have to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, that's not specific to security, but I think it's very much important is you know, we need to get out of this compliance mindset. Now, that doesn't mean compliance is necessarily bad, but you know, you, there should always be a why. And if you can't yeah. explain why, then there's a problem because, in fact, security requires thinking. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're expecting someone to do your thinking for you, then you're just waiting for another security problem. That's that's mm-hmm. not. Secu- how I like that. I like that very much. Security requires thinking. I think that might be a show title. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you'll be happy to know that. In fact, I'm, we mentioned that course earlier. Uh, that's very much hit home. Uh, that you know, it does not replace. There's lots of guidance. There's lots of best practices. They don't replace thinking. You have to think. Um, and you know, if you want to make this a, a show title, that's awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, 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 we're running kind of, I, I don't know what our time frame exactly is, but we, there are three other working groups, uh, vulnerability disclosure, security tooling, and digital identity attestation within the open mm-hmm. And basically if you're, if any of those things sound of interest, um, you know, I, more the merrier. I would love to see more people involved in the uh, Open Source Security Foundation, OpenSSF. Um, I, th- I, I think we talked about this last time, but the way the Linux Foundation works is it's basically a foundation of foundations. So, mm-hmm. you know, when somebody asks, well, what is this particular foundation doing? The honest answer is whatever the participants think is important. 
Mm. Yeah, there are obviously legal thing, legal limitations. You can't violate antitrust laws. That's not okay. Um, you know, but within certain, you know, legal guidelines and stuff uh, or laws, um, you know, a lot of this stuff is just run by the people who care. And mm-hmm. that's really how it should be. Yeah, no, that's, that's the way it should be. So it, how does that work in terms of like the, the subgroups that people just, uh, do like an RFC and apply or, and then it gets ratified or how does that work? Well, it, it depends. Let's talk about specifically the open SSF because I think that, uh, but we can also talk about other, maybe we should talk about first the open SSF and then some others. Uh, so within the open SSF, there's these six working groups, people um, and within the open SSF, they've decided to have meetings via uh, video calls every other week. And they also have mailing lists and Slack channels. And so the people who participate basically say, here's what I want to do. Now, um, oftentimes what really happens is there's projects within the working group. Uh, so, for example, the best practices badge is a project within the best practices working group. Um, mm-hmm. That project, you know, we, we do our best. We get comments. We uh, we try to adjudicate them. Um if there's potential changes to the criteria, we now make sure that not only do in our own mailing list, but within the best practices working group, we make sure, hey, uh, there's a proposed tweak to this text to make it clear. What do you think? Does anybody have any comments? Does anybody have any feedback? Um, if people want to start up a new project, the honest answer is they show up and say, I want to do this. And then we talk about it. Now, sometimes somebody proposes something and it turns out it's already being done. In mm-hmm. which case, they quickly get pointed off to, well, let's do this, <clears throat> or somebody points out something that um, they need to know about. So you know, even if you, you know, you certainly could do things by yourself, but it is far more helpful to work with other like-minded people so mm-hmm. they can help point you to the, the information that want to. Now, I do work with other Linux Foundation foundations like LF Energy, LF Public Health. Mm-hmm. Um Within uh, LF Energy, I mean, they have their own processes, but again, you know, they've got working groups, they've got projects, the projects basically, you know, they take, uh, you know, pull requests, merge requests, uh, proposals for changes, um, you know, discuss them, try to make improvements. Um, for LF Public Health, I don't know if you're, uh, the Linux Foundation Public Health uh, was created last year, 2020, to uh, deal with pandemics. I wonder why that happened. Um, <laughs> so for example, the Linux foundation just, um, uh, did a security evaluation of the two exposure notification, uh, apps, uh, mm-hmm. under the LF public health. And, you know, you know, whenever you examine software, you will find problems. That's how mm-hmm. it works. Um, you know, but that, that, that's a, that's good in the sense that it means that your examination was thorough enough to find problems. And mm-hmm. they found some issues, not, not no crises, but some things that needed fixing, and they you know, and they were immediately fixed. Uh, there were a couple things that you know could be improved. Um, they were, can be countered by things that you do when you deploy them, but you need to make sure. Uh, and, but they made sure that at least that was documented because you know when other government, if another government decides to deploy it, they need to know well. You know, this application does things this way, so you need to make sure you do this so it mm-hmm. operates in a secure way. And, and that's not unique, by the way, to exposure notification apps. That's that's true for any software. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so that kind of gets, you know, some of the things that uh, 
that we're doing. I'm actually also, um, I, I've been reviewing some of the, uh, some recent Linux kernel security audits. Uh, we'll see one hopefully soon actually get released out. Probably shouldn't talk too much about it yet since it hasn't been released yet, but we'll see. But it'll, I'm sure it'll, it'll uh, create some discussions and that's good. We want to have people, you know, discuss what should be done and what, you know, and think things through. No, that's great. And that's the thing of like, that's how improvements happen. And when you do it transparently out in the open, it, it causes uh, change to happen a lot faster. Right. And all sides are viewed. I, I, I think mm-hmm. that's, that's a key is, you know, we, uh, there's been a lot of complaints about, hey, people are specialized. Well, how about mm-hmm. that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. just, the, the reality is the you know, there was a time when you could literally read uh, everything there was to know on a big topic, and that just isn't true now. Everyone has mm-hmm. to specialize. That's just the way it is. So by getting the, the multiple viewpoints, you get um, <clears throat> you, you get those different specialties, different mindsets, and you discover problems that you wouldn't have if you didn't work in a more open way. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about what we started with, um, about the, uh, um, all the, uh, the security news lately. That's, that's been, uh, uh, among other things that's been in the news. Uh, what, what's, what's your take on that, David? Oh, I presume you're talking about solar winds. Yes. 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 Okay. So, um, all right. So, Frankly, in many ways, I think this is still an evolving story. There's, oh, yeah. uh, and I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any secret information. I, I can just mm-hmm. read the news as anybody else can. Uh, but I can tell you some things that I come away with reading the news and also just kind of understanding the underlying technology here. First of all, um, this is this is a in, the, the solar wind subversion. Actually, it seems to have been a pair by two different attackers. That's even more mm-hmm. interesting. Um, this is disastrous. Uh, this is this is the kind of thing that is going to be incredibly hard that has harmed very seriously. I would expect a large number of important organizations, and mm-hmm. that's and that's kind of heartbreaking. Um, so <clears throat> I, I'm not going to talk about attribution. Other people have lots more data about that than I do. Um, mm-hmm. What I can talk about a little bit is about what appears to have been how it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically it appears to have been a subverted build system. And for those of you who aren't, maybe don't know what exactly I mean by that. Um, you know, when you write software, you write a bunch of generally text. We call that source code. It's the instructions mm-hmm. of the computer, but the computer doesn't run the source code in almost mm-hmm. all cases. Uh, there's a tool that converts that source code into something that you actually use to execute. Um, mm-hmm. Typically, those are things called compilers, but even programs that people think of as, um, I don't need a compiler, the reality is, in fact, you do. For example, Python mm-hmm. typically is run with uh, something called CPython and doesn't need to be compiled, but nobody runs the Python code that way. And practically everybody installs um, using package managers with PIP. How do you get that package? Oh, well, see, you get this package from a completely different thing called PyPI. That's Mm -hmm. not where the source code is. Somebody Mm -hmm. converted the source code into a package. Same thing for NPM and JavaScript. Um, So even if your language doesn't require compilation, the reality is most software nowadays goes through some sort of build system. And it's this 
the, this potential disconnect between the source code that people review and the code and the built system that people actually run, well, they don't have to be connected. And that's what so, the solar winds attack seems to have been primarily about is that subversion was not in its source code. You could read the source code all day and not see a problem. The problem was that it was subverted somewhere during its build process. And that's mm. incredibly dangerous because it means that many of the techniques that people use for analyzing source code don't work. Mm -hmm. okay? Right. Because this is, because this is, uh, because that you, the people who you normally hold responsible for uh, kind of keeping this stuff safe would be the developers who are actually writing the source code that you're talking about. And once the code enters the build system, it's basically invisible to the developer. That's right. That's right. And so, um, and, and so with, with that, and now, and now to be fair, this isn't the first time. And that means, for example, that what's digitally signed and downloaded is not what the developers reviewed and checked on. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty scary thing. Now, it's not the first time that an update includes that signed has malicious code. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there have been other instances of it. It's it's not a common kind of attack. Uh, the vast majority of vulnerabilities are unintentional. In you know, unintentional vulnerabilities, you can find in source code. If they're mm -hmm. malicious, the most common kind is something called a typo squatting, you know, yeah. where you give it a, a name that's slightly different from the correct name. And so, mm -hmm. you know, there are, you know, we need to make sure that while we worry about these more advanced attacks, you know, don't forget the easy ones. You know, if you're, mm -hmm. if, uh, if you're not worrying about, if you're not protecting yourself against typo squatting, then, you know, fancy attacks don't matter. But, mm -hmm. um, but it is, it is absolutely valid that this is a, this is a potential big issue because a lot of the techniques that people built up over the years to, examine source code, make sure, you know, prevent problems don't work when the build environment's subverted. So mm -hmm. I, I think that we do need to start thinking, particularly in important software, uh, we need to start thinking about how to counter it. Now, obviously being proprietary doesn't help at all. Okay. Right. BuilderWinds is proprietary software. You know, I've, I don't hear very often anymore the old argument of, wow, you know, open source can't be secure because, and proprietary must be more secure. That's just, it's kind of laughable at this point. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know many people who even can make that argument with a straight face anymore. Um, but um, clearly, uh, there's a problem, and clearly, we need to identify some solutions. And, and I, I'm still kind of thinking through how to counter this uh, in a broader way. But we uh, clearly we need to do that. I think in the short term, the answer is pretty obvious, which is people need to harden access to the build systems. Mm -hmm. um, it needs to be very, very difficult for attackers to go in and break into build systems. Uh, mm -hmm. There's some indication that the build system was not well protected. Uh, in fact, somebody found an FTP site with an obvious password. It's not mm -hmm. clear that that was involved in the actual attack. But even if it wasn't, that's a very, very bad sign. That suggests mm -hmm. that people were not, you know, here's something that's very, very critical, and important, and not protected in any reasonable way at all. Mm -hmm. And so clearly we need to protect the build systems, but that really is not going to be the best long-term solution. Um, you know, no matter what, uh, a, you know, if, if, if we're talking nation state adversaries, they're going to occasionally get in. That's, that's mm -hmm. how that works. So we need to have mechanisms that detect and counter the problems, even with very strong attacks. Uh, and I really think the longer term, uh, solution here is 
we as an entire software industry need to be moving more towards reproducible builds and mm -hmm. then using independent builds to verify. And what this means is, you know, what happens if somebody subverts a build? Well, instead of trying to make it absolutely impossible to break in, let's have it make it possible to have independent verification. Uh, there's no reason that you can't have make it so that software, when it's built, always produces exactly the same answer. And then you build it in multiple independent places and verify that they all got the same answer. Now we don't have to worry so much about the you know, attacker breaking into a build environment. They're now going to build, break into all of them in order to, uh, to perform their attacks. Mm -hmm. um, so the reproducible builds folks have been working on this kinds of stuff for years. Uh, Linux Foundation actually funded some of their work um, uh, through the CII. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll send you a link. Mm -hmm. um, on something because in fact they they're <laughs> they they have certainly made it very very clear that you know if you were worried about this attack there is a known countermeasure um now you could ask well what about the tools used in a build don't they also have to be built mm -hmm. yes yes um and you know some of them claim that's a turtles all the way down kind of problem but it's not yep. actually not true uh there are techniques that let you um you know, find the bottom turtle, as it were. So there are things like bootstrap up builds, diverse double compiling, um, which basically mean that, yes, it will take time. This will probably take years uh, for the industry to move towards this. But I think that we do need to start moving towards that. Um, uh, it is going to be more of a problem for the proprietary vendors. For open source software, um, reproducible builds is really easy. It's a non-problem. You can have a thousand you know, places that verify uh, the proprietary vendors, it's going to be harder for them to do this. Not impossible, mm -hmm. just more challenging. Um, but I do think that, you know, short term, yes, harden your build systems. Good idea. Mm -hmm. Good idea anyway. But in the long term, we need to start thinking about making uh, the builds reproducible and then verify the verified reproducible builds so that these kinds of problems can be detected and prevented uh, from there on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like when I was looking at some of the news reports, it was the malware is kind of interesting in terms of it. Uh, oh, if it's I forget, like if it's running in a VM, then then don't um, reveal yourself. Or if, if right. you think that you're being probed, don't don't reveal yourself or, um, right. you know, if ports are being scanned. And it was pretty tricky. It's like they, they tried to make sure that they were um, before it would deploy it would try to make sure that it was running on a, an actual customer system instead of a in a laboratory getting poked at right now now to be fair um all those sorts of stuff are actually pretty normal stuff they're not yeah. I, I i i read some of the comments about this and it's going what what are these journalists doing with themselves do they do they talk to anybody you know because some mm -hmm. of these reports seem to suggest that this was something new and amazing um, oh, yeah. No, it's it, no, it's just not new. Amazing. This is what the people who aren't amateurs do. Okay, right, exactly. There, there are yeah. amateurs, and yes, the amateurs do stupid things. If mm -hmm. you're not an amateur, these are table stakes. These are, you know, mm -hmm. of course, you're going to have all these mechanisms to uh, counter detection. Um, of course, you're going to do all those other things, which is why. You know, it, it's not a bad thing to have, you know, malware detectors that, you know, mm -hmm. look for, you know, it's not a bad idea to look for the amateurs, but mm -hmm. don't assume that your amateur detection mechanisms are going to do any good against serious attacks, which is why right. I think, you know, you know uh, which is why I'm emphasizing 
you know, hardening to access and moving to reproducible builds in the longer term, mm-hmm. uh, because those don't depend on some sort of magic de- detection system that we don't have and we will never have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it won't hurt to have a detection system in addition, but it would have done no good in, mm-hmm. uh, in, in the circumstance. Um, and, and indeed, you know, another technique is, well, hey, why don't you monitor the system to make sure it's doing what it's supposed to do? This was the monitoring system. Yeah. And it's not at all obvious that you could have been detected anyway, because it's simply doing more or less what it was expected to do. And right. so that, you know, so, so some of the countermeasures that people have uh, have claimed uh, aren't there. And, and I'm still kind of mystified why journalists aren't pointing out things like reproducible builds and or, or at least hardening of builds. Uh, they just seem to I, I read once somewhere that, wow, there's just nothing that can be done. Don't, <laughs> what? Or, did, you, did you talk to anybody? You know, yeah. it, it's, it's, you know, it's true that there's nothing that could be done if you just want to keep doing what you're doing and don't want to change anything. OK, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. That's, that's not a reasonable that, that's not a reasonable assumption. Um, well, so on that on that topic, David, though, what could we? I mean, you made the recommendation about reproducible builds for this particular yeah. kind of kind of attack, right? But yep. um, it seems like uh, I'm not paying as much attention to the work on the you know on the hill and and elsewhere as as I once did. But um, it seems like uh, everyone within a security idea is now using this attack as kind of a Christmas tree for um, for their pet solution to the problem, right? Um, <laughs> whether that's like you know, software liability, like liability for software companies, whether it's, you know, government audits or, you know, whatever the, whatever the thing is, Um, you study this, you study this much more closely than I do. Do you have a sense of kind of what, what kind of a reaction we might expect from either from private industry or from, uh, or from the the public sector? Um, That's a little hard. It's hard to predict was, was someone said, uh, you know, it's hard to predict, especially the future. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you're right about the Christmas tree, but they're not wrong either. Um, I think the, uh, the the reality is that all our infrastructure now depends on software, mm-hmm. and in addition, frankly, the their, the security is kind of embarrassingly bad in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's worse, this particular attack, um, I don't you know I don't have the you know super duper secret insights into exactly the problems, but it's quite clear to me just from what is publicly known that these were disastrous, and these are worth paying a lot of money to never allow to happen again. Um, so I, I actually don't uh, begrudge folks. Uh, I, anyway, the Christmas tree I think probably is a little unfair. I, I think it is reasonable to say we never want to have this disastrous thing happen again. Uh, let's work out systems that will make it not happen again. I mean, I will point back to the Titanic. Uh, mm-hmm. When the when the Titanic went down, it was a disaster, and as a result, a lot of very significant changes were made to the international. Uh, to all sorts of international requirements, uh, specifically to to make it so that it wouldn't be as disastrous next time. I think it would be a shame if we mm-hmm. didn't take this really bad situation and um, and didn't learn to counter it. But what that means is, for example, uh, we need to count, we need to include ways to counter this attack uh, because if if your sole solution is give me a um, you know please give me a uh, bill of materials. Um, I actually think bill of materials are a good idea, but that wouldn't have mm-hmm. helped in this case. 
So mm-hmm. are, that, does that make building materials bad? No. It's still a worthy thing to do. Most of the times, our supply chain attacks aren't this kind. They're of the, I have a vulnerable no, a component with known vulnerabilities. So we mm-hmm. still should do that. Um, but I think what we need to do is start thinking through, we need to, uh, we need to change things to be much better for security. Um, yes, we do need to know whether or not it's got known vulnerabilities. And yes, we also need to make sure that they've got verified reproducible builds so that in fact, um, a subversion in the build environment doesn't just quietly go out with no uh, possibility of detection. Right. Uh, so I got, so I, I think I have one last question about this. I, I, I was listening to an interview on one of the bewildering number of podcasts that I seem to listen to. Um, so I can't quite attribute this to the right place yet, but uh, the, there was one uh, kind of security policy person. And they were advocating for a, kind of computer security equivalent of the NTSB um, who can, uh, and so his idea was, listen, this isn't about any particular policy prescription. What we actually need is, uh, is some agency or some organization that can actually go back and do the forensics on these attacks, uh, extract whatever, uh, whatever, uh, extract whatever uh, lessons learned there might be. um, And then, uh, ensure that kind of industry, you know, private sector, public sector, no one went wrong, so that it can be avoided again. To your point about the about the, the Titanic disaster, it sounds like you, it sounds like you're you'd be in favor of a proposal like that. I, I don't know if we need a central organization, um, mm-hmm. but, but I think I would split it up into two different parts. Do you need a centralized organization to examine and come up with recommendations, or do mm-hmm. we need to simply identify and come up with recommendations? Um, and I, I'm not sure if we need it centralized or not, um, but for sure we need to think about, in fact, I mentioned this often in that course I mentioned earlier, what has happened in the past? What can we learn from that? Um, mm-hmm. it's true that sometimes there's something you've never, ever seen before in the history of the world. Those are incredibly unusual. Um, mm-hmm. practically all the software attacks are just this, it's yet another example of the same kind of attack that happened last year and the year before that and the year before that. And oftentimes you can point all the way back to the seventies. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, this is the, the solar winds kind of attack is not a new kind of attack. It's less common, but mm-hmm. it is, it's not a new kind. It's the same old kind. Um, mm-hmm. it's a build, it's a build system attack. And what we need to do is sit down and figure out, okay, what are the common kinds of attacks? How can they be countered? Um, I'll note that, for example, the um, OWASP top 10 and the um, CWE top 25 are examples of this, where Mm -hmm. they look at all the kinds of vulnerabilities and they try to figure out what are the most common kinds. Um, Now, they're not going to point this one out in part because this is a less common kind of attack. Mm -hmm. Um, But that doesn't mean we can't learn from it. And mm-hmm. if you're developing systems where it is really important um, that you counter these kinds of attacks, then yes, you should know what those attacks are and you should know how to, uh, why you've countered it. And if you don't, if you, if you can't answer the question, how have you countered it? It's probably because you haven't. <laughs> you're right. Right. Well, that makes sense. I guess the last question we have for you, David is, uh, uh, what what is your homepage set to? <laughs> well, if you if if you would go, be so good to go into your web browser and type in dwheeler.com, 
you will see all sorts of nonsense that uh, apparently I believed at one time or other. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not, now that's just my personal homepage. It's not my work or anything like that. Uh, mm-hmm. but you can find out, you know, some of the crazy things that I've done over the years and uh, see some of the uh, crazy things I've done. Among the things, you also see how to get hold of me. So you can send me, you know, email to my personal account if it's personal stuff or my work email if it's work related. Um, but, you know, certainly I'd be happy to hear from folks, um, in particular, if, if you are interested in helping to work, solve some of these problems, uh, love to love to talk with you, love to work with you. Um, I think these are these are solvable problems. They're not mm-hmm. they're not insolvable. Um, they may take work. And I don't think, mm-hmm. for example, that reproducible builds are something we can just mandate from law and we'll have it all done in a month. Okay, that's that's mm-hmm. not what I'm saying. This is mm-hmm. I think that one in particular is going to be a journey. But that's okay if you're going to go on a journey. You have to start with a step. Yep. Yep. And what page uh, should we send people to if they want to check out the show notes here and uh, to go through the back catalog of uh, Dr. David A. Wheeler appearances? <laughs> well, obviously that would be DG Show. DG Show dot yeah. org. Okay. Well, da- Dr. David Wheeler, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I'll note that whenever people uh, give my title, uh, it's usually because they want to yank my chain. And I'm, I'm sure, <laughs> as far as I can tell, it is no different today. <laughs> no, we always enjoy you coming in and sharing your wisdom with us and helping us uh, contextualize what's going on in the world of open source and security. Well, thank you very much and happy to help. And hopefully everybody's found this interesting. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, David. Um, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah, we'll catch you all next time.